All right, so just a, a quick introduction again, but um, uh, I don't know, gosh, a month and a half ago, something like that, I was in Brazil, and uh, that's when I got to meet uh, first Nick and then uh, later his brother Luke, two amazing people, um, Nick and his wife Rachel, and then uh, others that joined them, including including his brother and his wife, they... They started to uh, just listen to the Lord. They're going to share stories with you, but they're going out on the streets in Brazil, uh, helping prostitutes who want off the streets. Even those that don't want, they're still blessing them and giving them the love of Jesus. You're going to hear some of those stories. But this is what I want to say about about um, Nick as I invite him up. Is, is He is extremely genuine, uh, humble, kind, compassionate. I mean, I could go on and on. Just amazing guy, funny. Um, and you might be thinking, I'm, I'm going to introduce Jesus, right? But this is a guy that looks a lot like him, a lot like Jesus. And uh, I just want you to please welcome him. Open your heart up to Nick. And uh, here we go. Let's go for it, Nick. Did anybody else notice that Doug Addison kind of looks like Rod Stewart? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I just thought I'd start with like a holy thing there. Um, I do want to tell you about some of the stuff in the back. Um, just so you know, we're not like peddlers of product, but everything that we ever sell goes to our girls' home in Brazil. We have a girls' home called Vila Betania, which would be uh, Bethany Vila. And we have currently 20 girls, 0 to 18 years old, that have been rescued out of prostitution, abuse, abandonment. Um, and we care for them, you know, full-time. They live there with us and... We work towards either family restoration or adoption. So actually everything that we ever sell and any offering that we ever take in any church always goes directly to our work with our girls. Um, so if you are interested in buying something in the back, I'll just tell you this uh, artwork that Brent was talking about is really cool. And just to clarify, the girl is in, at Bethel School, but she did first year. We sent her for first year. She's been on staff with us for maybe four years now. Um, and came to Bethel School first year, was invited back for second year. She's become one of their kind of main artists on the stage at Bethel Church, and they invited her to come back and do the arts track, and she's also focusing on children's ministry, and then will come back and help start an art school for us in Hasifi with all of our girls and the children that we work with in the slums and everything like that too. But she came last year. We paid for her to come. This year we weren't able to do that. So she came in faith. I think she still needed like 3000 bucks, And it was kind of one of those things where like as her leader, you're like, yes, have faith. You need how much? <laughs> you know, like, so she bought her ticket and she came. Well, God provided all of it, but now she's just selling her art as a way to raise what she needs monthly. So she doesn't put a price on any of it. Um, but I would say if you like something, you know, give a good price for it. Um, you know, it's going to a really good thing. This is one that she did. She puts on the back the story of where it comes from, when she painted it, um, and then just how you can find out more about her. Um, this is, what did she call it? Uh, oh, it says here somewhere. Something about a lion. I'm going to guess that. <laughs> but it's really beautiful. There's a couple other smaller ones in the back, and then there's bigger ones in the back, and you can check that out if you want. My brother can, can explain more about that with you. Um, but hopefully people buy them because they won't fit in our suitcases and we leave tomorrow for Brazil. So, um, this is our newest CD called kiss the dawn. Um, we released it just in May, 
This CD is like Rachel and I's life story for the last 18 months, which I won't have time to tell you all about it. Um, but we really live in just a ridiculous faith journey with God every single day uh, with the girls that we work with. And this, all of our songs come from that. A lot of our songs, like the last one I sang tonight is on this album, and it came from the streets. A lot of our songs come from the streets, not about the streets, but in that moment, on the streets, with our girls, and just boom, a song comes, and we just release it, and then it ends up on a CD. And so this is that, and our friend Steph Gretzinger from Bethel Music sings on a couple songs with us on it, so it's really good. I just wanted to give this away to anybody who maybe has a specific call to work with women coming out of trafficking, abuse, anybody? Okay, there's a few of you. I saw you first, so give you that. Just bless you. Yeah. All right. Do you want me to preach from up here? You can see me better? Is my face that beautiful? Okay. Actually, Rachel's a lot prettier, to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, before I start, I just wanted to tell you guys uh, and just really honor Brent. Um, when Brent came with Leif, you know, I had never met him before. Uh, and Leif just said, hey, my friend Brent would like to come. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah, it's great. More the merrier. But you really left a mark on our ministry. Just now before I came in, I was talking to Christian. You really left a mark. And he's, he's read it twice now, your book. My, my son has just turned 16 when Brent was there, actually. And he's read Brent's book twice and just was like, tell Brent I love him. And you really left a mark on our ministry, on our staff. And we love you very much. So hope you guys know how awesome of a pastor you have, really. Um, all right, well, I want to start by telling you a story that has absolutely nothing to do with anything I'm going to say, but I felt like I was supposed to tell this because, okay, it's confession time. As a worship leader, I've been leading worship, uh, Rachel and I have been leading worship together since we were 13, um, started leading worship in church at 13 years old together, and I'm going to be honest, okay, and like we're in, I'm a, is this family? Can I be family with you guys? I hate shofars, okay? And <laughs> there it is. You said we're in like the family tree of trust, and I'm going for it. So, and and I, no, I didn't really like flags either, and I'm going to explain why, so don't get upset. The shofars, because it, do you ever notice it always comes at the most inappropriate time? It's like this quiet moment, and you don't know the guy's there. Like this actually happened when Brent was with us in Brazil. We're leading worship at this church, right? And... We get to this like quiet, soft moment. And I love those moments. Like I look rock and roll, but I'm, I live for those quiet, soft moments. And so I get to that point. What I didn't know is like what eight guys with shofars had gotten behind us. And I'm like just about to strum this nice soft chord and I hear and like all these things. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And everybody's kind of in shock. And like they, then the guys with the shofars looked at me and they're like, you know, like, we got this. <laughs> and then they looked at me like, keep going in worship. And I'm like, I mean, it's over. You know, like, the moment is killed. So, so anyway, always as a worship leader, I always would, like, hear these shofars go off at these times. And it's always in the wrong key. It always clashes. Anyway, so just forgive me, but I never liked them. And then flags, because I can't tell you how many times I've been hit in the face with a flag <laughs> during worship. And one time, there's this guy. Do you guys know who Patricia King is? Yeah. So Patricia has a guy as a part of her team that's, his name's Caleb. And Caleb is like a professional flagger. And I mean, seriously, he has like a flag bearer 
who walks around with him and like protects his flags. Well, we were leading worship for Patricia at one point uh, in, in Arizona somewhere. And the stage was really small. I mean, it was like this, just this section of the stage. And we had a whole band. So I would, it just happened that I was on the very edge. And I had to put my mic like on the floor because there wasn't room. Well, he starts waving these flags. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. And like anything I would sing, he would grab a flag of that. So I was singing this song about like the roar of the lion. He's got this lion flag, you know. And I'm singing about fire. He's got the fire flag. I wanted to sing about penguins just to see if he had it, you know, and just like challenge him. But at one point, he comes out with these two flags, and they're on chains. And I'm like, whoa, that's intense, you know. And he's doing all this crazy stuff, you know. And he's getting closer and closer. And I'm literally leading like this at this point. And all of a sudden, right in the face, he just catches my face with it. And uh, and it's funny, because I hadn't seen him in a long time. My mom ran into him last year at some conference, and she's like, I think you know my son, Nick Billman. And he's like, that's the guy hit in the face with a flag, like... So anyway, so because of that, I've never been like a shofar or a flag guy. Well, then one night I'm leading worship at this church in Pennsylvania. I'm not going to say which church because my friend from Pennsylvania is here and she would know where I'm talking about. But I'm leading worship at this church. First time I had ever been there. And I'm getting ready to, 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 you know, or I'm in worship and we're getting ready to just like get to this big part. And the pastor comes up on stage and he has this shofar that I do not know what animal it came from. I mean, it was like seven feet long, you know. In my, that's how I see it in the spirit. So he comes and he's like, I just feel like we're supposed to let out a victory shout and I'm going to count to three. And at the count of three, our worship leader is going to blow the shofar. And then you're all going to shout. I had never blown a shofar. And I don't play trumpet. I'm a guitarist. So I'm like, no big deal. I'll just let it rip, you know. And he hands me this thing, and I like getting the appropriate stance. You got to get like a bracing, so you kind of want to, like I'll show you from the side, you want to kind of get a stance, right? And I'm holding this thing, and he's like, one, two, three, and the silent moment for the shofar, and I'm like, (laughs) and the pastor just looks at me, and he goes, "Just, just give it to me. I'm like... So, you remember, you remember that old renewal song, then I'll become even more undignified? That was that moment. That was it, you know? So anyway, the guy, he invites us back for a second time. And um, so this time we're leading worship and like, I'm not kidding. Everybody's done. We did a sound check and we have a little time for the service. Everybody leaves and I'm alone. And I see this table over here, and there's like an angelic glow. And there's this mini shofar kind of sitting on like a stand, and it was like one of these little guys. And I'm like, oh, that's got to be easier. I'll give that guy a try. So I walk over, and, you know, it's like, oh. And I pick this thing up, and right when I tip it back, all this oil pours into my mouth and my beard. And right then... The pastor of the church walks in at that moment, and he's like, what are you doing with our horn of oil? And I'm like, ugh. So, like, as I led worship that night, I could taste the anointing. You know, it was like, it was real. It was real. So this guy, he invites me back a third time. But this time, he says, I want you to preach. I think he needed, like, a comic relief in his life. So he's probably like, I got to hear what this guy has to say, you know? So anyway, like, I'm, 
I'm preaching. And it was a really good night and powerful night. And I'm like, I want, you know, we're going to pray for boldness tonight. Who needs boldness? And, and all these people come up and I'm like, I'm going to pray over you. And I look over and there's this flag, right? And, I, and I'm, remember, I'm not a flag guy. So don't judge me, those of you who are. But so I get, I see this flag and it's like the line of the tribe of Judah flag. And I'm like, and I'm going to wave this flag over all of you. And I look at my wife and she's like, you are? And I'm like, so just come up here if you need boldness. And I'm like, you know, I'm just like, I don't even know what's happening. It's like I drank too much Red Bull and the Holy Spirit or something. And I'm just like, boldness, 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 crack. And I hit this lady right in the face. And when I hit her, she goes like this. And I, I don't know, is it a seizure? Is it the Lord? And I'm like standing there with the flag. And my friend's like, dude, put it down. I'm like. So I did what I knew best. And I went and soaked in the corner, you know, to try to get right with the Lord. And at the end of the night, this lady comes up to me. And I'm like, uh-oh. And I'm like looking for a mark, you know. And she's like, when you prayed for me. The power of God hit me so hard. And I'm like, it was the Lord that hit you. He hit you with his power uh, directly in the face. (laughs) And she's like, when I was on the floor after you prayed for me, the Lord took me into an encounter. I'm like, it was the Lord. And she's like, and he told me to start this new ministry and this hotline for people who are suicidal and helping people. And I'm like, bless the Lord who did all of that on his own <laughs> with none of my involvement, just to be really clear. So I, you know, I get through the night. I survive it. I think it's over. And six months later, I'm at my church where I was an associate pastor. And, and she walks through the door. And I'm like, she saw the tape. You know, like <laughs> someone told her. And I'm like, hey, what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, your pastor invited me to come and share about the, the new ministry that I started. Remember the one I told you about in the encounter? I'm like, yeah. So she gets up and she's telling everybody this story. And she's like, and it all began when that man prayed for me. And I'm like, bless the Lord. It was all God. God did it all. So, so just be careful, people, okay? Be careful. Like, let's use safety instructions with our flags, Okay. You know, with the shofars, let's, let's take it easy. Let it rip, but, you know, let's take it easy. There is not a way to bridge that into a holy moment. So let's just start a new chapter. Okay. Let's go to the Bible. It's safer. Romans chapter 8. Is everybody okay? Anybody get offended? I'm keeping it real. You're right. It's the only way to keep it. All right. Well, and th- this is the thing. I don't know why I'm still talking about this, but pe- people will come. People, <laughs> I feel like I need this. People will come to us, to our, our world, and like we go, to, we go to the streets to minister to prostitutes and drug addicts and drug dealers and pimps and little girls who are being sold. And people come and they're like, is it cool they bring my shofar? I'm like, are you kidding me? No. <laughs> Like, no, because the Lord told me if I would blow my shofar over these girls, they'd be set free. I'm like, but they won't. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, but 
blow the shofar in the spirit, but you're going to go to the streets and be like, hey, how's your night going? Oh, it's going good. <laughs> right in her face. I mean, you know. So it's like, you know, we were just at Bethel and Chris was talking about like some of the weird things that we do in the prophetic. And I'm not going to teach on this, but I think it's really important. Some things that you do in the prophetic in our church culture, they don't make sense in the world. So, so don't do them that way. But, but learn to minister in a way that's effective to those who you're ministering to. You know, we, 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 uh, we, we, had, I don't, we had a lady that came and, and um, this is the thing, is that we have to believe that, that our papa is bigger than whatever else it is that's fighting for the people that we're trying to reach. We had a lady come one time and, you know, our, our life is really heavy all the time. I mean, I always tell people, you know, I remember one time we were there and we had a friend from New Jersey and, and we brought these two girls back to our rescue home that night and, you know, everybody's rejoicing and it's this beautiful night. And I was just, you know, quiet in the car and he said, man, aren't you excited? I mean, these two girls are coming to Bethany and I'm like, yeah, and it's great and I do celebrate it, man, but I don't know if you counted, there were 40 kids there tonight. There's two coming, but there's 38 who are still there. So don't get me wrong. I celebrate those two, for sure. But I feel for those other 38. So, like, our, our life is really heavy to, to go every night and either on the streets or in the slums and talk to girls, you know, 12, 13 years old, who are already negotiating their price is really heavy all the time. So I always tell people, like, what I love about that, the, the effect of that is, I never have any trouble, I uh, shouldn't say never, but I, I, it's very easy for me to depend on God because I cannot ever heal or solve the problems of these girls. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Ever. Like, I'll be just really honest and real with you because I know you're pastor, so I think I can be real. I could come here and speak to you guys on my own strength and power and you would think it's a good message because I can tell good stories. But I cannot sit and look at a girl who her virginity was sold by her parents when she was eight and then has been sold ever since then and now she's 13, selling herself and thinking she's the one in control because she now negotiates her own price. There's nothing in me that can make her better. And dependency on me, on my strength, does not make her better. It's only the father that can heal that girl. So I, every single day, I look in the eyes of people that I am fully aware only God will make them better. Only God will heal them. Does this make sense to you guys? See, when I was just a pastor, I mean, I'm just being real with you guys. When I was a pastor, I could breeze through some of those days. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just saying I could, I could get through days and be like, you know what? I'll just get through the day. And when I worked in business, same thing. But in in my life now, it's like one of the things I love about what we do, I'm constantly aware of my need for the Father. Because there's no good story that makes it better. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's nothing that just makes it better for those girls. Only Jesus. Only the Father. So we had this lady come. and, And, you know, when people come into that environment with us, sometimes it's really hard for them. We understand that. I always tell our staff, I never want you to become desensitized to what you're seeing, ever. I want it to hurt every time, but I want the joy of the Lord to be your strength to sustain you. See, like, we live in such a culture where we avoid pain. Brazil is no different than America. The minute we start to hurt, we want to medicate it. 
I'm not talking bad about medication. We have girls that take medication to help them get through seasons. But I'm just saying, we live in an environment where it's like, the minute you feel pain, oh, do you need a, medic- a medicine? But see, like, in our spiritual lives with God, we can't live that way because we have to feel what he feels for people. It's his joy that will sustain that. We're not like depressed Christians who walk around crying all the time. But I need to feel it when I look at these girls and what they're going through. I need to feel his heart for them. Because if not, if it comes from me, then it's only pity. It's just, oh, I feel bad. Man, that's bad. Bad situation. But the father, he sees destiny in them. And destiny comes on the vehicle of compassion. Compassion brings destiny to the broken. Pity does not. Pity fills orphanages with kids and says, thank God they're not on the streets anymore. Pity says, well, at least she's not prostituting. But Jesus, see, he didn't go to the cross and say, oh, I'm dying here for rescue. This has been one of the mistakes of the church for the last 50 years is we're preaching a message of rescue. Pray this prayer so that when you die, you go to heaven. But Jesus was on the cross for redemption and reconciliation. Read Ephesians 1, read Colossians 1. That's the purpose of the cross. So when I look at these girls, what I'm thinking is, when Jesus was hanging on that cross, the joy that was set before him was the thought of that little girl being on the lap of her papa. So how do I get her to that place? What's my role in that? And I know that I cannot do anything on my own power to make that happen. See, when we first moved there, I tried that. I tried and I would like convince girls into to leaving the streets. And none of them lasted. Because you know what happened was I became their savior. I became, wow, Nick's such a good guy. Nick did this, Nick did that. Man, Nick's this and that. And the minute they started to struggle, they didn't have a, a father sustaining them in that. And then nothing I could tell them would rescue them. And so it needs to be the father. It needs to be an encounter with the father. Do you think it's any different with people right out here in your community in California? It's no different at all. People always say to me, man, what what message do you preach to these girls in the streets? The same one I'm preaching to you. Because the reality is the more time I spend with girls and trafficking and abuse and abandonment, the more that I realize my needs are the same. I need you, Father. That's it. Because from you comes everything else. We like to say things like, seek first your kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. We just don't like to live it. But it's when we get to a point where it's like, I have to depend on you. And God wants us in that place. Do you understand that? He wants you in a place of total dependence on him. See, the the very place that, that we are trying to avoid is the place where Jesus is waiting with open arms. We are trying to avoid weakness because our culture says you got to be strong, only the strong survive. Got to be tough, you got to get through it, put your head down and go to work. All those types of sayings. I grew up in a German household in Philadelphia, so we understand how that is. But all those things that says, avoid that, you don't got to be weak, got to be tough, got to... But Jesus is waiting in that place of weakness. Because in that place of weakness is where you see how strong he is. You see the muscles of your papa. But you don't experience it unless you're willing to, to get to that place. And we oftentimes struggle with, with, with being vulnerable. We struggle with being weak. But see, we work with the people that they, they don't even know what it is to, to, to mask that. Like you're talking to women that they're standing on the street for all to see in their brokenness of what they're doing. Does it make sense to you? There's no, there's no masking it. 
they'll tell us this is hell. I mean, they may try at first that, no, I like what I do. But in two, two minutes of talking to them, giving them a prophetic word, speaking the Father's heart, they'll say, this is hell. Selling my body here is hell. That's why I like working with these girls, because I don't have to convince them that they need more of Jesus. I don't have to convince them that just coming to church on Sundays or a Saturday night is enough. I know I went from shofar to that really quick, but are you guys with me? <laughs> so we had this lady come, and, and she, you know, she came to minister, and I knew, knew her. She's a, an intercessor, wonderful woman of God. And uh, the first night that she's on the streets with us, uh, and, and I, I have this thing, right, where I tell our, our staff all the time, um, we train in the prophetic, I believe in all of that, but I want you to know the Father enough that you will always be ready to tell someone who He is. So I don't ask people when I go to the streets, do you have a word? I tell the girl she has a word, and then I say, give her the word. Because if you know the Father, then you know what He's going to tell this daughter who's living in, in this lifestyle. What I don't want is people saying, oof, I didn't get anything. See, we've become too dependent on feelings and are you feeling anything? Did you get anything? I mean, read this right here, guys. You read this, you know who he is. You see the story of when the woman was brought before Jesus. I'm just talking from our reality. The woman brought before Jesus in the act of adultery. How did he respond to her? He didn't throw a stone at her. So there, right, right then, I already know that I'm going to come with a heart of compassion, not a heart of judgment. So we have to always be ready. I think it's in First Peter where he says, always be ready for, to, how is it, to show the hope that you possess. That's not like, oh, I didn't feel anything, so I didn't get a word. We have to always be ready. For me, I'm not a feeler, ever. I married, like, Mrs. Feeler. And I'm the last man standing at every event. Me and Luke, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm, I'm that guy where I'm like, man, I'm, you know, I'm feeling it in the sense of like, oh, God, you're so good, I just love you. And then I open my eyes, and everybody's on the ground. And I'm like, courtesy fall, you know? And so, so I'm, I, can't, I can't depend on, on feelings, because they'll deceive me. But I need to know who he is. We need to know our papa. And so for me, what happens is, in, in my knowledge of who he is, my intimacy with him, I go to someone to begin to show them who he is. And then he starts filling my, my head with his thoughts. But for me, oftentimes, it's after I had gone, after I had pursued. So anyway, this lady's with us, and I would say that. We'd walk up to a girl, we'd be talking, and I would say, you know, hey, do you, you know, give her a word. And she would go, Mm-mm. every time. And it's like three hours, you know. And I thought maybe she's just really feeling emotional. So after a little while, I stopped asking her. Because I thought, you know, it's hard sometimes. People come to visit and they're not prepared for it. And you're feeling all this stuff. Like, man, I'm looking at this girl who's you know, a beautiful young girl. And, and, you know, regardless of age, age doesn't matter. They're all Papa's daughters. And so at the end of the night, I said to her, hey, were you, what was going on out there? Like, why weren't you sharing anything? Because I knew her to be a woman that really hears the voice of God. And she said... I just really felt like there was a spirit of lust there. And I'm like, in the prostitution district? She's like, yes. I'm like, you mean in, in the strip where girls are selling their bodies to men? You felt a spirit of lust. And she's like, yes. And I, I couldn't 
I couldn't tap into the Father. And I said, I really love you, but you chose tonight to make lust bigger than God. It might sound harsh, guys, but it's like the reality. Who is he? Who's your daddy? Do you believe who he is or not? Do you really believe when he says that he's bigger than everything you're going to come against? Because see, like he did his part. Our thing of like waiting for God to move, he already did it. So now he's saying, step into the waters of the Jordan and I will open the way. So many Christians are waiting on the banks of their destiny, saying, God, if you part the waters, I'll go. And God's saying, if you step in, I'll make the way. And, and that, that's with anything. Like, oh, you're called to, you know, be a doctor, and you're waiting for God to provide all the money for medical school. Start, start applying. Start doing something. You're called to be a missionary. You don't know how many people I meet that are like, I was called into missions. I'm like, oh, wow, when? 1976. Oh, so have you gone? Oh, I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm like, but in 1976, he told you to go. So go, you know. God, God is, is looking for those sons and daughters who say, I believe who you are, and that's enough for me. So on that, I will begin to go. I, I tell people all the time because they'll ask me, man, I, I want to do what you do. I want to reach women you know, in prostitution, trafficking, all that stuff. How do I start? And I'm like, look for someone in your city that needs Jesus and start because that's where it begins. It begins with that one-on-one encounter. That, you know, that's what I believe like this current move of God that we're experiencing, and, and I love our movement. I love, you know, everything involved in it. And I believe that that's what it's leading to, and that's what the, the kingdom mentality is, the, what we see, the biblical mentality for revival, is this spreading of the gospel one to another. These two going out and sharing the gospel with others. And then every week the church is growing in number because of the testimonies and the spreading of the good news of what God's doing throughout the week not because we've found better ways to invite people to church services. I I was a pastor for nine years, I understand. But what gets people to church is when they encounter the Father and they say, where's this guy live? And you say, I'll show you. (laughs) He lives in you, but by the way, his family gets together on Saturday nights in Dublin, California. Would you like to meet more of them? Yeah, I would, great, come on. But see, that's, that's so much better when they've encountered who he is. See, the question of, of all of creation is found right here in Romans chapter 8. And listen to how Paul chooses to word this. In verse 15 of Romans 8, he says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery. Anybody thankful for that? Leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. I love, love, love that verse. So much so that I tattooed it on my arm. You don't have to do that, but I did. I love that, amen. I love that 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 passage, think about the power of that passage. Because we have received his spirit, it doesn't say now we can call him God. Because we received his spirit, now we can call him Lord and Savior. It doesn't say, because we've received His Spirit, now He's Master, now He's Creator, now He's Lord of all. All of those names are appropriate for God. But of the hundreds of names for God that we read in the Bible, He says, because you have received My Spirit, you can call Me Daddy. And that is the message of the Gospel. 
Jesus went to the cross to put that spirit back in us that was breathed into man in the garden. That Saul, Papa God, face to face, Jesus died on the cross for that moment. So when I'm on the streets of Brazil and and I'm looking at these women, what am I thinking? I need to somehow find a way to get them back to their original position. The original position of man was face to face with God. It wasn't church planting and missionaries and pastors. It wasn't apostles and pastors and prophets and teachers and evangelists. None of those things existed in the garden. They are a part of God's redemptive plan to bring us back to the Father. But imagine a prophet in the garden. Adam's walking with God. And God's like, Oh, son, I just, I love you so much. And the prophet's like, I'm hearing a word. Adam, God says that he loves you. And Adam's like, he just said that. (laughs) I mean, imagine a pastor in the garden. Hey, Adam, you want to come out to the Verb on Sunday? We have like a new church service and donuts and coffee, right, at 9 o'clock. And... And Adam's like, yeah, the thing is, I, I, uh, God's my pastor. Oh, okay, yeah. Imagine evangelists in the garden. You'd have to evangelize squirrels. I don't even know what you would do. <laughs> but, but what I'm telling you is, is that the whole purpose of the, of the gospel was to get us back to that moment and that place. And, and this passage by Paul, we only see Jesus says it one time when he's praying in the garden before he's betrayed, Abba, Father. Maybe I'll get to that in a little bit. And then Paul quotes it twice, once in Romans, once in Galatians. It's an interesting expression, right? Because Abba, Father, if you said it, you know, both in English, Abba is an Aramaic word that then was borrowed by the Hebrew language. And Daddy actually isn't quite deep enough, but it's the most intimate word you can find for Daddy. So if we said them both in English, it's Daddy, Father. Do any of you guys call your, your dad Daddy, Father? Hey, Daddy, Father. But listen to the prayer that Jesus said in the garden. He says, Abba, Father. And I think the prayer reveals why he prayed that way. Because see, we're to live in the dependency of children and the maturity of sons. The balance of those two things. Always totally dependent on the Father, but always mature enough to choose his will over our own. Think about the prayer. Abba, Father. Abba, if it's possible, take this cup for me. Do you understand that Jesus didn't say that just to fulfill Scripture? But he's actually asking, because he's seeing the cup of suffering before him. Daddy, if it's possible, take this cup for me. The dependency of a child to say, I need you, Father. I need you. But the maturity of a son that says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. See, we need to live in the balance of those two things. And Paul was a guy that understood that. Paul was a guy that preached the balance of suffering and joy. Right? Stuff we don't really like to preach too often. But Paul's like... Don't, don't you love Paul, right? Because he's like talking to people about, we need to understand the value of suffering. And, and I'm not going to boast. I've been shipwrecked, yes, and beaten and left for dead and starved and all these things. But I'm not going to boast about it. I understand you guys, Corinth, have this disagreement in, the, in your church. And uh, I know it's hard sometimes. And I don't want to boast about that time that I was shipwrecked or left for dead. But, uh, but yeah, you guys, what were you saying about your struggles? <laughs> like, do any of you guys have one of those friends? Don't raise your hand because they might see you if they're here. <laughs> but one of those friends were like, whatever you say, you know, you're like, man, this week was rough. You're telling me your week was rough. <laughs> the one-upper. <laughs> my week. Let me tell you about my week. You're like, okay, yeah, your week's worse. But, 
But Paul had this understanding of the two things, and he's saying here that, that God has put within us the spirit of adoption that now we can call him daddy. But then listen to what he goes on to say right after that. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs and also heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So he's talking about the glory of God and he's saying if we get to suffer with him, then we also get the inheritance of his glory. And he's rooting that out of this thing of being sons and receiving the spirit of adoption. And he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now listen to this. For the anxious longing of the creation, of all creation, waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Because our purpose as sons and daughters of God is to reveal His glory to all of creation. So that all of creation turns... To his glory. It's like Isaiah 61 or Isaiah 60. Arise and shine for your light has come. The world's waiting for the sons of God. It's interesting that Paul doesn't say all of creation is groaning and waiting for the revealing of God. Or all of creation is groaning and waiting for the revealing of Jesus. He doesn't preach that. Do you know why? Because they had already been revealed. Are you with me? If that's what Paul said, then we could sit in our church chairs and say, God, reveal yourself. Jesus, reveal yourself. But no, all of creation is groaning and waiting for the sons of God. And in fact, the word that's used there for sons is the mature sons of God. Because it's the sons of God that reveal the glory of God. The very thing that, that brought forth all of creation, as Colossians 1 tells us, that through Christ all of creation was brought forth. And now all of creation is like, man, where is that thing that brought us into existence? Where is that glory that brought all of this to, to, you know, to come to pass? And where is that glory that, that brought forth creation out of nothing? And then all of a sudden a sun rises up and all of creation says, that's what I've been looking for. Because it's what you carry inside of you. It's our inheritance as sons and daughters of God. All of creation is groaning and waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Because the question of all generations is, where is the Father? Who is the Father? This is the question of our generation. Who is the Father? And you have to know who your daddy is. I remember one night I was on the streets of Philadelphia with my two sons. And... uh, we had gone to an Eagles game. By the way, you guys are welcome for Chip Kelly. But we had gone to an Eagles game. If you're a Niners fan, if you're a Raiders fan, it doesn't really matter. But, but I just bless you with him. Woo. So we went to this Eagles game. And after the game, we were walking uh, to go get something to eat. And I, I skipped through like this dark alley. And it wasn't in a really good part of town to be at, you know, at midnight. And... I'm walking with my two boys, and this group is coming towards us, and I see this guy in the front of them, and in my mind, I'm like, that's their leader. I mean, they might not have even been together, but in my mind, I'm like, that's the leader, you know? And so this guy is big and muscular, like shaved head, covered in tattoos, and generally people with shaved heads and tattoos are not good people, okay? I'm just like, I'm letting you guys know, so you can like discern that, and... 
So, but this guy is one of those guys that like his muscles have muscles, you know? And he's wearing one of those shirts that's more like a loincloth for his chest because he's cut so much of it away that you can see like all of his muscles. So you guys know what I'm talking about. And he's walking like, you know, he can't even walk right anymore. And so as I'm looking at this guy, I'm thinking, man, that dude is a bad dude. And he just looked like a guy that could just mess you up. I'm like, that's a bad looking dude. And as they're walking by us, Forrest, who maybe was 11 at the time, out loud says, Dad, you could totally beat that guy up. (laughs) Now I'm going to be real with you. I didn't run, but I power walked it out of there. Okay? I grabbed their hands and I'm like, (laughs) you know. And when we, when we got away a little bit, I'm like, Forrest, why did you say that? The guy probably heard you. And Forrest's like, Dad, you're the strongest dad in the world. And that moment, the Holy Spirit said, I need you to see me like that. I need you to see me like the strongest daddy in the world. Do you know who your daddy is? Do you really know who he is? When you sing, great are you, Lord. You could change the word Lord to Papa. When you sing about the one who restores the broken, you sing about the one who is light. It's your daddy. Do you know who your daddy is? I'm going to give you an example in Isaiah chapter 6 of an encounter with discovering who Father God is. I love to meditate on the word of God and, you know, I don't know if any of you guys are like me, but I'm one of those guys where if I try to just like plow through chapters, I'll read like five chapters and not retain anything that I read. And, you know, I'm like the worst read the Bible in a year guy because then like you miss a day. I do miss days, forgive me, but it's true. And like, so I miss a day and then all of a sudden you're like, man, I got to read nine chapters today. You know, so you're like read through it. Bam, I did it. And then I'm like, what did I read today? So for me, what I've learned that helps is to really just like stop when I read a verse that either I don't understand or that I felt kind of like, wow, there's something in that. I stop and I meditate on it. So I remember I spent like a month meditating on Romans 8, 11, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is within me. And I would pray that over and over. It's like God would not let me move past that verse. I would be like the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is within me. Jesus, would you show me what it looks like at the time I worked in business? Would you show me what it looks like when I go to my office and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is within me? Would you show me what that looks like, God, in my marriage? Would you show me what that looks like? So I would just meditate through that, you know. So one day I'm reading Isaiah 6, and, and I read, you know, that encounter where we see Isaiah comes into the presence of the Lord, and, and um, I just kind of stopped. I'm like, God, I want to see what Isaiah saw. I mean, how many of you guys would like to just see God on the throne and you know, have this heavenly encounter. So I'm like, man, God, I want to see what Isaiah saw. Would you take me into that? So I'm like, I'm going to meditate on this, and I want to experience it. So I start praying. Try to follow me, okay? Sometimes twisted mind, but I'm gonna, we're going to get there. We're going to be okay. You guys are like, yeah, I heard the shofar story, dude. So um, Isaiah 6 I'm reading this, and it says, In the year of the king Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. So I don't know if you pick up on this, but Isaiah comes into a throne room encounter with God, and there's two things that he describes. 
first. The throne, high and exalted, and the, the train of his robes. So I'm meditating on this, and I'm like, God, I want to see you high and exalted in my life. I want to see what it looks like for you to be on the throne of my life. I just put you back on your rightful place on the throne of my life and be on the throne of my marriage, God, and be on the throne of my fatherhood of my children and be on the throne of my ministry, God. And, and, and then I'm like, and God, and, and the train of your robes, let them fill the temple. And why do you have such big robes? And all of a sudden, it's like it hit me that my whole life I had sung about that and read that, and I did not understand why Isaiah makes emphasis of the robes. Are any of you honest enough to be like, wow, yeah, never thought about that? I mean, really, I was like, why are his robes so big? <laughs> and in my mind, then I'm picturing God on the throne, and he's just got this robe, like, you know, filling the temple. Like, did you ever see one of those weddings where, like, the girl is doing the vows, and they're still dragging the thing in the church? That's what I'm picturing, you know? I'm like, man, God. And then I'm like, why are your robes so big? So then I'm stuck on it, and I'm like, why, why is it that Isaiah has this encounter, and the second thing he describes before the angels, before the seraphim, before the worship that he experienced was the robe. Why? And I sought the Lord, and then I sought Google, and I looked, and don't judge me, okay? And I'm like, okay, what's up with the robes? And I found this article, this blog by one of my favorite theologians, a guy named N.T. Wright. And, um, and he's explaining this, and he says, and this just messed me up. Because remember, before I explain what he says, remember what Isaiah says, he sees this, and what's the first thing that he says? Woe is me. Woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. So you understand this like Old Covenant. This wasn't like, I love, I love, I love your presence. In their culture, it's like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. You know, because I'm a man of unclean lips. It's the first thing he says. And then, of course, you know the story that God sends the angel with the fire from the altar, touches him, and then he goes from woe is me to send me. Who will go for us? Here I am, send me. So we know with one touch from God, he changed. But something caused him to say, woe is me. So I'm reading this article by N.T. Wright, and he says, that in their culture, when a nation would defeat another nation, the spoils of battle went to the soldiers. So they could have anything on the battlefield, swords, shields, money purses, whatever it was that they wanted to pick up was theirs. But the greatest honor was left for the victorious king. What did he get to do? He went to the defeated king, cut off a piece of his robe, and had it sewn into his robe. In their culture, the king with the longer robe, patchwork robe, was the more victorious king. What does Isaiah see? The train of his robe filling the temple. Do you understand that he walked into a victory that he had never experienced before? Victory over every enemy of Israel that they would ever face. So much so that he says, woe is me. Because I am a man of unclean lips. My sin is sewn into those robes. The sins of my people are sewn into those robes. Woe is me. And then God sends the fire. See, when God shows us how powerful he is, it's not to scare you. 
It's to show you who your daddy is. It's to show you your inheritance. And then he takes his fire and he says, and this is who you are too, because you belong to me. And he takes the woe that's inside of you and he changes it into ascend me. That's old covenant. Put it in new covenant perspective. Where's the temple? The train of his robe fills your temple. Victory over every enemy that you will ever face already fills your temple. (laughs) Victory over every enemy that you will ever face already fills your temple. Read Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. Everything Paul talks about our inheritance is all past tense, people. Enough with the futuristic mentality. One glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. It's already been done and it's already inside of us. I love the way Graham Cook says it. He says it's not even so much becoming, it's realizing who you are. Sometimes we're like, think about this. We're praying for strategies over like some attack and somehow we're still surprised about the attack, right? I love when people are like, Nick, I just feel like... Like Satan's attacking me. I'm like, but he literally is. Like, that's all that he does. I just, I feel like the enemy really like, doesn't like my ministry. He doesn't. <laughs> Why are we still surprised? I'm, I know it's funny, but I'm being serious. Why are we still surprised? Why are we still empowering a defeated enemy with our fears? When God says, the victory is already inside you. Walk in it. Walk in it. And you know what's so great about the Father? When you fall, I mean, I, I might sound bold to you guys. I daily come before the Father saying, God, you sent the wrong guy. I tell God that all the time. You sent the wrong guy. I'm not strong enough for this. I can't, I can't do this. You've got to send somebody else. But it's just me coming back up to his lap in my rightful place. Saying, Papa, I can't do this, but I know who you are. So if you want to use me, here I am, send me. See, he doesn't just take your woe and make you some courageous freak that doesn't have fear or feel pain. It's not that. He takes your woe and says, now come up here with me. So you can learn to trust in me. And I will make you one that says, send me. Because when you see who I am, you won't be able to hold it back. I'm going to tell you that when Brent was with us even, we had this conference, Father's Love Conference, and all of the girls from our rescue home, they came, and um, a lot of them were very new. And so they're you know, coming, and it's like worship in this way is very new to them. So they're there sitting on the front row, kind of just there. And I see all of these girls that some of them had gone through our home before and were now restored to their families. Others are girls that we work, in, we work a lot with prevention as well and with about 100 different families uh, every single week in the slums in a way of preventing that these girls never go into prostitution and trafficking. And because if you just rescue all the time, it'll never end. There has to be a prevention. And, and honestly, the biggest problem is the men. That's the biggest problem. Like, problem with pornography, problem with prostitution is men. 
and men who blame women for being Jezebels when they can't control their own whatever. It's, I'm just getting, I'm getting on soapbox. It doesn't matter. But the point is, is that, you know, we see this, you know, with these girls all the time. And, and so these girls are in these slums and we work with them and their families and we work with, you know, preventing that and working with their parents as well. So we're at the conference and, and um, I see those girls from, the commun- from our, our home and they're sitting there on the front row and they're just kind of there. And then I watched the girls who had already gone through our home and had been restored and girls that we're working with in the slums. And they go and take the hands of those girls, pull them up, take them to the front in worship. And they start praying over them, doing them what you did to me. God, show them your love like you showed it to me. Give them daddy's heart like you gave it to me. You have to understand that these girls who are praying this don't have fathers. They don't have daddies. But they're praying a father heart baptism for other girls who don't have daddies because they had an experience like Isaiah where they saw who their daddy is. They encountered who the father is. And see, when our girls experience it, it's like, I got to give it away. I can't hold it back because it's such good news. Do you know who your daddy is? Do you really know who he is? I'll, I'll just kind of end with this story. Uh, when we first opened our home, it's called Villa Bethania, and it's named after John 12 because right before we went to Brazil, uh, I was worshiping at my parents' house and sitting at the keyboard and just me and the Lord. And the Lord takes me into this vision and I see in John 12 where Mary is anointing the feet of Jesus. And I can hear in the vision Jesus singing a song over Mary. So I start singing it out loud. And then Rachel comes into the room not knowing what I'm experiencing, gets down on the ground and starts singing from Mary back to Jesus. And we wrote down the lyrics, and we called it Bethany. And we were about to record in Nashville in a studio that week, and I said to Rachel, man, we should record this song. It's a beautiful song. And the Holy Spirit said, it's not a song. It's a blueprint for what I want you to do in Brazil. I want you to create places of Bethany where my daughters can realize how loved they are so much so that they'll pour themselves out and worship at my feet. I want you to create opportunities in places like that in Brazil. So it became the blueprint of what we do. Everything we do is rooted in that. How do we bring these daughters to that place where, you know, just like a little nugget in that story. But I believe that Mary understood something that even the disciples missed. The disciples were with Jesus three years and he's telling them, son of man will die, the son of man will give his life up. And yet they're still surprised when that happens. But remember when Mary did that, what did Jesus say? Don't judge her because she's held this for the day of what? My burial. So I think that Mary understood the time was coming and because of her gratefulness, poured out this offering at his feet. Just my opinion. But so then our whole ministry then came from that model. And uh, so when we opened our first girl's home, I guess like sometimes God allows you to be naive or at least he allows me to be naive where I literally thought 
okay, we're going to have this home. I'm going to play my guitar. We're going to worship. Heaven's going to fall. They're all going to be healed. It's going to be awesome. And God's like, yeah, 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 it's going to be great. Do it, you know? <laughs> Do it. <laughs> so I'm not kidding you. I never thought about, like, any other way. And... It's like that childlike faith where you're like, okay, Papa, you said it, so we'll do it. And then like when it doesn't work out quite like you pictured, God's like, but do you still see it? Do you still see it like that? Or have you allowed the circumstance to, to blind you? And so anyway, the first week we have the house open. There's 12 girls and you know we have girls that come from the children's court, from child services, girls that we've rescued girls that have come from, you know, transferred from other states, and girls that are in, like, protection program um, to, you know, be hidden and safe from their traffickers and all that kind of stuff, or their own parents. Many of our girls, it was their parents that sold them into prostitution. And um, so we opened this house. There's 12 girls, and, you know, one of the first nights that week, I decide this is the night. We're going to go and do worship, and it's going to be awesome. And up until that point, the house had been pretty chaotic because you take 12 girls that either grew up in abuse or grew up on the streets. Some of them had a drug history. And, you know, you put them in one house together, and it's crazy, you know. I mean, I remember the first night being there 3 a.m., trying to get them still to go to bed. And I remember we had 12 beds and 12, you know, blanket sets and stuffed animals and all everything that each girl had her own place. And I remember going up the first night, and they had taken three mattresses, put it on the floor, and all 12 of them were huddled there together because they were so afraid to be alone in their beds. It's just chaotic every time, you know, at night we try to get them to bed. It was really difficult. So I'm like, this is it then. We need to come and have this time of worship, and we're going to have a Bethany encounter here, and it's going to be great. So I had laid out all these art supplies, and I put out paper and crayons and markers and, and a glue stick and scissors and, and uh, all, just all this different stuff. And I said, you know, girls, as we're doing worship tonight, this might be new for you, but as we do worship, I just want you to draw a picture, whatever it is you're feeling or whatever it is. A lot of, we do a lot of art therapy with our girls. Sometimes they can't express in words what they've gone through, but maybe their picture helps you understand what they're feeling. So I start, you know, playing the guitar, and I'm not kidding you, like two minutes in to worship, I watch this girl take the paper of another girl that she's drawing on and go, and rip it. And that girl takes a marker and goes, and writes on her face. And that girl picks up the glue stick and puts it in that girl's hair. And that girl picks up the scissors and goes after that girl, who then goes to the kitchen and gets a knife and comes back to go after that girl. And I'm there with my guitar like, I've got peace like a river, you know. And I'm just like, no more worship, it's dangerous, you know. And so every time that we would try to have these times of worship, it would be chaotic like that. And girls would be up and running around and breaking things, and it was just like this chaos. And... And I got frustrated with the Lord after a few weeks of that. I'm like, Lord, what is going on? I mean, I'm doing what you told me to do. So what am I missing? What do I need to change here? And I just felt I need to teach him who the Father is. Like, what's the point of worship? So I'm there and I sit down with the girls and I say, you know, before we have our time of worship tonight, uh, I want to just talk to you about why we worship. And I start telling them about who God is. And see, like in Brazil, a lot of them maybe even have some kind of evangelical or Catholic background, but it's... It's like, oh yeah, my parents took me to the Catholic church and they also sold me. Do you understand what it means? It's like bad representation. Or some of our girls, they've been abused by pastors. So to them, you know, it's kind of like, 
Anyway, so I'm talking to them about God, and I'm saying, you know, God is this creator, and he's all-powerful, but he's also daddy, and he loves us, and I'm just telling them who he is. And after about five minutes, one girl, she's about 12 years old, lifts up her hand, and she says, Gio Nikki, I never want to meet that God. And I said, well, why not? Because she said it's so direct. I said, well, why not? And she said, my daddy was a normal daddy, and he hurt me so bad. I can't imagine what an all-powerful daddy would do to me. And all of a sudden it hit me that their definition of father was not the same as mine. Think about when you talk to an abused child and you say things like, Father God wants to touch you. It means something totally different. So I just, I'm there crying in front of these girls. And I'm like, girls, I know that, that you don't trust me. You don't have to trust me. But I'm just asking for just a little bit of your trust tonight. Just enough that you would maybe close your eyes and put your hands in front of you. Because I believe that what you have experienced from daddies is not a representation of who God is. And I think he wants to redefine for you tonight the word father. And show you what a father really is like. And I explained to them who Abba is and that exact verse that I told you. He's given you his spirit so that you can call him daddy. See, like the, the message of the gospel, our, our message is rooted in this good news. God loved so much that he gave. Not that he loved the church so much. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son. But their understanding of daddies is daddies take, daddies steal, daddies abandon, daddies hurt. So I want them to experience the daddy who gives. So they close their eyes, which was already a miracle. And I tell them, I'm going to sing a song that Tia Rachel and I wrote. It's in English. And I'm going to sing it in English so you're not even distracted by the words of what I'm saying. And it's the song Spinning that Rachel and I wrote. And the bridge of the song is just Abba over and over again. And I'm singing the song, and I can already tell that the atmosphere is different because it's quiet. Nobody's up and running. Nobody's fighting. Totally quiet. And I'm getting to the part of the bridge, and I start to hear that beautiful sound of sniffles. And I'm like, yeah, God, you're doing something. And I was like afraid to open my eyes because it's such a precious moment. But I just kind of peeked a little bit, and I see this little girl in front of me, and she's just got these little tears coming down her face. She's five years old. If I told you her story, you would want to throw up. even at five. And she's there in front of me, just these little tears. And I'm like, yeah, God, you're doing something. And when I get to the bridge and I start singing, Abba, 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 I just see her mouth word, mouthing the words, Abba. Because see, I just taught about it. And after a little while, I'm singing, Abba, Abba. And that little girl jumps up from her place and she just starts screaming, Daddy God, you love me. You love me, and I love you. I love you, and you love me. You love me. It's like all she could say. And a little while later, all of those other girls got up with her. And for two hours, worship that night was 12 girls, 12 different melodies, 12 different keys. Most beautiful worship I ever heard in my life. It was Bethany pouring out, breaking open all that they had been holding on to. 
at the feet of Jesus and God redefined for them what Father meant. The next morning, that little girl, little five-year-old girl, comes up to one of our staff members who is at the house and she says, Gio, Nikki's here. And the staff member said, oh, that's great. And after a little while, she didn't see me and thought, oh, maybe I missed him. And then at lunch, she got up from the dinner table and she said, Gio, Nikki's at the door. We got to go let him in. And all the girls run to the door and they're chanting, Gio, Nikki, Gio, Nikki. And they open the door and I'm not there. And then that next morning at 6 a.m., she runs down, bangs on the door and says to the staff, Gio, Nikki's here. I know it. And all of a sudden, it clicks in my staff's mind. And the one girl says, I don't think it's Chiuniki that you're feeling. Next time you feel that, would you ask who he is? And she goes into the living room, and she's worshiping. This is a girl who, two days before, he couldn't get to sit still. And she's worshiping and dancing in the living room. And she comes back into the kitchen. She says, I felt it again. I asked him who he was, and he told me his name's Jesus, that he loves me, and he'll never leave me. And my, my staff member's like, well, how did you hear his voice? Like, that's a question, dumb, no, that was mean. That's a question that we ask, right? Like, like dumb adults is what I was going to say. And this little girl's like, uh, out loud, like you're talking to me now. And my staff member's like, pray for me. You know, like, <laughs> you're hearing like the audible voice of God, feeling his presence tangibly. I haven't even heard the audible voice of God. And like, what happened, guys? God redefined. She had an Isaiah encounter. God took her woe, all of it, away. And there was a send in her heart that sent her right to the arms of the Father. Doesn't mean that our girls didn't have problems after that. <laughs> they did, trust me. They can be rascals. But now they know I have a daddy who loves me. I remember not long after that, it's like two in the morning and our one staff member was on you know, night duty to make sure that nobody's causing trouble. And I told you how hard it was to get them to bed. So it's two in the morning and our staff member's in the living room and she hears the, the girls upstairs and she's kind of like, oh, I'm going to get them. You know, like if you're a parent, you know what I'm saying. And you don't want to just yell. You actually want to sneak up there to catch them. So she like sneaks up the steps, gets the door slowly turns the handle and swings it open and it's three girls sitting on the ground worshiping, just crying out to Jesus. And she said she was like, but we literally got to a point where I had to tell our staff, guys, the night encounters have to stop, okay? Like the girls need to sleep. They still have to go to school in the morning because they would be up until three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, worshiping, having encounters with Jesus. What happened? They met their daddy. It's as simple as that. Don't, don't cheapen it by calling it the anointing. It was the presence of the Father. The, the fruit of that is the anointing that comes from his embrace. But sometimes we say, oh, there's an anointing. It's his presence. It's the Father. And then you should be smeared. You should smell like Papa after he's hugged you. And that is the anointing. It comes from the embrace. I want to show you guys a video of some of our girls, and uh, you can see their beautiful faces and what they look like. And uh, we can't see, we can't post a lot of the stuff that we do because a lot of our girls are in protection 
uh, or some of our girls. We just don't want to, we don't want to use their images for, for anything that would make them feel uncomfortable. So, but, uh, but when we're in churches, I like to show people so they can really see who our girls are and what God's doing in their lives and just their smiles and how beautiful they are. And, um, yeah, and then after that, we're going to have a time of ministry. And it's going to be really simple, but I believe that God wants to redefine once again what a father is to each of us here tonight. And listen, you might be like, I have the greatest dad in the world. My dad's awesome. My dad's a Methodist pastor. He's a great dad. But there is like layers and levels of Father God that no earthly father could ever reach. And God wants to show us what that looks like. And for the rest of our lives, we will learn that. You will never get to a point where you have reached the fullness of what Father God is like. So how many of you guys want to have that experience tonight? See, like you you can, I think Brent said it. I don't remember if he said it up here just to me, but you can hear those stories and be like, oh, wow, how cute. That's not the point of the story, guys. That story wrecked me and challenged me because I'm like, that little girl is experiencing something with the father that I am not experiencing. I want that. I want to live like that. I want to be the one that then grabs the others and says, do in her what you did to me. Father, give her your heart like you gave it to me. Amen? So let's watch the video and then let's get messed up. that we saw even when we were in Curitiba but especially uh, here in Nisiki when we came as I shared the story of seeing younger girls on that first visit but many times we've encountered young girls you know as young as eight years old who had already in one form or another um, had a program on the streets which is the word we use for, for you know doing the act of prostitution on the streets and we, we saw these girls and it's just like it's heart-wrenching to be a dad to have you know daughters this age and see them on the streets having already had you know not just a sexual encounter but having already negotiated their price or having someone negotiate their price for them and so that was just this thing burning in our hearts and actually even before we moved to Brazil um, Rachel and I one night were at my parents house and actually our visa was delayed and so we were, uh, had to delay our, our flight in 2010 to come to Brazil uh, when we were moving here and so we're at my parents house and and just kind of you know killing time for a couple months and the one night I go up to uh, my mom's piano and I'm playing and I'm just worshiping and the Lord takes me to this vision and I see Mary anointing the feet of Jesus in John 12 and I start singing from the perspective of Jesus like I'm thinking what Jesus must have felt in this like pure beautiful moment of worship and I'm singing over Mary in the natural, what I felt like Jesus was, was seeing. And then Rachel comes into the room not knowing that that's what I was experiencing, and she immediately starts crying, and she starts singing back from Mary to Jesus. 
And at the end, we wrote down the lyrics and, and we were about to actually go record a, a new CD in the studio called Roar of the Lion. And we thought, oh, it's a great song. We should record this song. And the Holy Spirit said, but it's not a song. It's a blueprint for what I want you to do in Brazil. I want you to create Bethany places where my daughters can, like Mary, be so set free in my mercy and my love and my grace that they will be poured out in the worship of my feet. God. Yay, God. I mean, I know it's not a Wahoo moment, but I'm uh, just um, wrecked all over again. Um, having been there, I'll just show you the other side because I we went and saw their house, which was amazing uh, just to see, um, to see, you know, in the natural what they're actually doing. But what, what really moved me about Nick was when we were at the conference and some of these young girls were just ru running up to him and, you know, giving him big hugs, just needing and just seeing how they were approaching him, how safe he was. And that, uh, you know, that doesn't come quickly or easily. That was, that was gained over time, being a very safe person. Uh, there's a lot of other stories I could tell you, but really I would rather take an offering and get him back up here and minister because I want more. I want uh, just the Father to, uh, you know, extend his kisses of love over all of us. Um, so uh, we're going to take an offering. This is this is why I really wanted you to wait and see because I wanted you to know what you're giving towards. Um a message like this really moves our hearts and we're saying we're thinking what can we do part of what we can do is is bless you know that the seeds you're sowing are going to be good ones and bless what they're doing so they can reach more and more um and if you want to do that tonight that's it's going to be shores of grace if you're writing a, a check out um, once again if you want to do credit card or cash we can send you an, an envelope so go ahead and raise your hand if you need that um and i just want to I want to send um, Nick and Luke with a, a, you know, just a really generous offering. We'll be doing the same from us personally. Um, and uh, 
The other thing, of course, and this is what Nick is going to come back and minister, because the more our hearts are ministered to, our response needs to be, Lord, send me. Which doesn't mean you have to go halfway around the world, by the way. It can mean that you go next door, to your next door neighbor. Um, so as God stirs up our hearts, the main thing is that um, we can all find reasons to disqualify ourselves, just like Nick was saying that, Lord, I think you got the wrong guy. Which one of us hasn't said that? Anyone here? Okay. Uh, we, we all feel disqu- unqualified at times, disqualified, unqualified. But he says, no, I've pre-qualified you with my love to go and extend that love. So we need to just go and respond and do what we can and love one person at a time. So if you uh, have those, um, you know, if we're, we'll go ahead and take the offering. If... If it gets past you and you haven't written it down yet or um, written your check, uh, what's the best? Should we have it up here? I'm just saying if the offering basket, sometimes people later are saying where did where'd the offering basket go? Here. Okay, so it'll be up in front if you if it passes you by. And don't forget too later the products and the paintings and things like that you can look at. So, Father, let's just uh, bless... This ministry, Father, we bless Nick and Rachel and um, and all of their staff. They have an amazing staff there. We just ask God for your grace upon grace over them to each day, each and every day, to look to you to find their strength one, one day at a time, which you will always give, to keep giving them vision and courage. Um, and Father, we just uh, pray for all, all of those uh, girls are ministering to that you're your spirit would, would overtake them. The spirit of your love, the Father's love, Papa's love would overtake them over and over again. God, thank you that, um, that just because of the yes in their hearts, they're not only impacting the, you know, the hundreds by this time, hundreds and hundreds of ones that they've encountered, but also their stories are going around the world and giving others the courage to do the same. God, your kingdom is winning, light is winning, and we just bless Nick and Rachel. We bless um, all of their staff. We bless Shores of Grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead. Let's take the offering. And um, uh, Joel, who came back from Uganda, has been gone for two weeks to Uganda, or a week and a half. He's going to be sharing um, his stories next week. So that's going to be really amazing and releasing some awesome things. Um, and I know uh, Janie, where's Janie? Where are you going? Ke- Cambodia and Thailand. She's leaving this week for Cambodia and Thailand. We bless you and we bless the Father to release his love through you, Janie. And we just, wow. Father, thank you for sending Janie to be your ambassador of light and love. Whoa, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we bless you, Janie, on your trip in every way. And, uh, and I think this is also Freddie's last night with us. Just re- wave your hand. Where are you, Freddie? There you are. Freddie's uh, been with us for a while and just been receiving the Father's love and God's sending him and uh, just to next chapters. And so we bless you, Freddie, on your journey. We just say... Keep taking all that Papa gives you. Keep going after your dreams. And, and we do. We bless you with a fullness of all he's intended for you and all that you will release with his love. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, Nick, I'm going to ask you to come on back up.
Okay. All right. I don't know if maybe the sound guys maybe could put on some nice, quiet, slow dance music. <laughs> oh, yeah. There it is. You can sway to that. Um, so here's what I want to do. Why don't you just, just close your eyes, just like our girls. Put your hands out in front of you. Let's just wait on him for a little bit. Put yourself in the position like our little five-year-old girl that was there that night. All she had was enough trust to just close her eyes and put her hands out. That's it. Just that. Just this little, little tenth of a mustard seed of trust and faith. And it was enough to move heaven in her direction. So just position yourself like that. Here I am, Papa. I want to see you like the victorious, strong daddy that you are. I want to see you like the strongest daddy there is. I want to see you as the one whose robes fill my temple with victory. I want to see you as the daddy who makes all of the boo-boos and all of the pain go away because you're a good daddy. I don't want to just sing about it. I want to know it in the deepest places of my heart. Just as we were praying before the service, I saw God rolling in operating tables. And I saw angels coming in, holding boxes with new hearts. And each of the hearts had Father written on them. And I just saw many of us tonight just laying ourselves down on the operating table of God and just allowing Him to do surgery in our hearts one more time. You might be the closest you've ever been with the Lord, just fully on fire for Him, but saying, here I am, God, one more time, just open me up and give me even more of your heart. You might be the furthest away from God that you've ever been, or you might have never seen God as Daddy before. Maybe you have the hardest time seeing Him in that intimate way. And all he asks of us is, would you lay yourself down and let me open you up and fill you with my heart tonight? Would you receive the baptism of my heart tonight? So I want to ask you, if you want that, just find a place, lay down. Lay down on the floor in a kind of a prophetic act. Here I am, Papa. I lay myself down on the operating table of heaven. If you're physically able to, if not, no problem. He can get you right in your seat. Here I am, Papa. I lay me down on the operating table of heaven to just receive your heart, to receive a fresh impartation of the Father heart. It's you and Papa God has absolutely nothing to do with me. It's you and Papa God, just like Hanieli that night, just her and Daddy. And all he cared about in that moment was bringing her back to his lap, was bringing her back face to face, 
And that's what he's longing for tonight for each one of us. He does the drawing and we do the trusting. See, the thing is, is that he is all powerful and yet he chooses to be limited by your yes or no. His kingdom is a free will kingdom and he just wants to hear that yes in your heart that says tonight, yes, daddy. Give me your heart tonight. Yes, Daddy. Give me your heart tonight. Some of you came with a woe. Woe is me. Some of you, even right now, I can just feel it. You're feeling woe is me because you're saying, I'm living in sin. I'm living in lies. I'm struggling. Woe is me. And all God's looking for is a yes from you to touch you with this fire tonight, the fire of his love. Burn away all the woe is me and put a send me in your heart. It's you and him, just you and daddy, just you and daddy. Yeah. Just you and daddy. it just wait in him just wait in him thank you father thank you father we break off the lies tonight God for those who have said I'm not the special one I'm not the favorite one The ones who've said, I don't deserve that kind of love. I don't deserve to be loved like that. We just break off all those lies. And I pray, God, for each person that has that in their hearts and in their minds, that you would give them an image of Jesus on the cross, saying to them, you're the joy that's set before me as I endure the cross. Give them the image of the price that you paid, Jesus. The price that you paid, Father, to bring them back to your lap. You're the joy that was set before him. The thought of bringing you back to daddy's arms is the joy that was set before him when he endured the cross. Father, anyone who has had a hard time seeing you as daddy that that just can't get past the Lord and Savior God the Father thing with you that they they just see you as that and walk with you but they just don't see you as daddy as Abba I pray right now for everybody in this room a fresh fresh impartation of the spirit of adoption the spirit of adoption the breath of God breathed deeply into us so that everyone in this room would breathe out and say Abba 
Abba. A fresh revelation of who you are tonight, Papa God. Just like our girls experienced that night. God, anyone in here tonight that's been abused by a father figure in their life. Anyone who's been taken advantage of or abused or rejected or abandoned or just never felt the gentle touch of a loving daddy. I pray that you would go deeper than the wounds, deeper than the hurt, deeper than the abandonment, deeper than the abuse, because they are rooted and grounded in love. And deeper than the roots of pain are the roots of love and uproot all of the pain, Father. Redefine the word Father for them. Redefine Daddy for them, just like you did for our girls. Redefine it, God. Just let him do it. Just give that to him. Just turn it over to him. Here it is, Papa. Here it is, Papa. Here's my offering tonight. Sometimes our offering is the lies that we have chosen to believe, the lies we've agreed with. And he says, give me those ashes and let me give you the beauty the robes of righteousness, the ring that I've set aside for your finger. Make that trade with them tonight. Thank you, Papa. Thank you, Papa. Even deeper, even deeper, even deeper. There's another level. He wants to take you so deep that you feel like you can't even breathe because he wants you to learn to depend on him even for the next breath. Take us deeper, Papa. Even deeper, even deeper, even deeper. We need you, Father. We need you, Father. need you, Papa. Pull us back up onto your lap, Daddy. We need you. We need you. We need you. Some of you are struggling with past failures or past fallings into sin or whatever it is and and you've allowed that to keep you down and I just want you to see the Father smiling over you tonight. And it's the sound of His laugh that brings you back to your feet. It's the kindness of the Father. And He's saying, son, it's time to get back up. Daughter, it's time to get up and dance again with Daddy. 
Yeah, Father, we need you. We need you. We need you. Your presence is enough for us, Papa. Your presence is enough for us. him for what he's doing in you. Just thank him. That's the childlike praise that looks up and says, that is so strong. That is so beautiful. That is so powerful. Where our praise and our worship is the response to who he is. Just begin to give him your praise tonight, your worship. Thank you, Papa. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good, Father. Father, I pray right now for a throne room encounter for each person here. An Isaiah 6 encounter where they would see your victory, God. That they wouldn't see the challenge before them or the struggle before them, but they would see your victory filling their temple. I pray, God, for a fresh heavenly perspective 
seeing from our, our heavenly seats, our places in heaven where God's reserved for us, seeing from that perspective, seeing the train of your robe, filling their temples with the victory over every enemy and solutions to every obstacle. For each person here tonight, Father, touch them with the fire from the altar. Touch their lips, God, even the lips that in this last week have said, woe is me, the lips that have said, what is this world coming to? The lips that have said, what's going on with this election? All, any, any speak or any talk that has agreed, gather with that woe spirit, touch their lips with your fire tonight and change their, even their vocabulary into a send me vocabulary, into a solution vocabulary, into a victorious vocabulary. Touch us with the fire from the altar tonight, God. Deep in our minds, I pray for changed mindsets tonight, God. For victorious thinking. (laughs) Just receive that, just by faith. Just take it. If you're not feeling anything, just tell the Father, I just received that. That's my reality, that's my truth. I take that mentality. I take that victory. I receive your fire, God. Yeah, and if you're feeling something, God, double it. Just double it. Even more. Pour it out. Even more, Papa. Even more. Victory, 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 victory. (laughs) Victorious sons and daughters, full of victory. (laughs) A flame and a blaze with the love of Jesus and full of victory. That's what we're called to be, sons and daughters. Father, thank you for the tenderness of your heart towards us, the affection, your affectionate gaze. God, thank you that you're not looking at the things we think you're looking at. You're not looking at what we see as our perceived failures. You are looking at the one that you made in your your glorious image. And God, you're already um, at the finish line and beyond with us. You've already, you already see how this is all going to play out. 
And I'm praying, God, for myself, for each one of us, more and more awareness of your pleasure. That we would see the smile on your face, the laugh, the laughter in your eyes as you, as you gaze upon us. And Lord, what you are looking at is, is the yes that's in our heart. The yes for you, the yes. That yes. And that's a heart, that, a heart with a yes in it is one that you can use to change the world. So our heart belongs to you, Father, Papa, Daddy, our heart is yours. Keep tenderizing it. <laughs> so um, just because of the way things are, have ended, I think, um, tonight that be really good just to stay in this place. If you, in fact, if you want to lay down for a while longer, you're you're free to do that. And uh, often we have most weeks we have healing teams. But I just want to say this: that what you're doing right now is the most healing thing you could possibly do, and it is the basis for your healing, <laughs> whatever it is that you need. So um, just receive your healing from a Papa who loves you and wants and has provided for your healing already. And uh, yeah, just anytime you want to, where you can, we're kind of through officially here. But uh, again, at the back table, there's some things if you want to look at it on your way out. And uh, I bless you, Father. We bless you. We thank you for your your uh, goodness, your tenderness at all times. We're so blessed. We're, the, we're blessed children. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.